This is Ross Coulthard, and you are listening to That UFO Podcast. And now a quick word from our sponsor. I've used Zencaster software for well over two years now and become very fond of not only the technology but the company and its people too as they've been with me along my entire journey. The podcasting industry has grown a lot in that time too with projections showing that by 2030 it'll be worth well over $150 billion. More than 30,000 passionate creators now use Zencaster to create, grow and monetize their podcasts. It's the ideal platform to record, produce and analyze all in one place. Now you can be a part of the journey as Zencaster has has announced crowdfunding. From as little as $100, you can join a community of other investors who seek to help Zencaster and independent podcasters succeed. If you're interested in investing in Zencaster, go to wefunder.com slash Zencaster or click the link in my episode description below to claim your slice of the future of podcasting. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. My name is Andy and I am joined by journalist and author of the incredible In Plain Sight, co-host of the Outstanding Need to Know Podcast along with Bryce Zabel. like to welcome back to the show Ross Coulthard. Ross, welcome back mate. G'day Andy, how are you mate? I am wonderful. It's good to be talking to you with the incredible time difference we have. It's a, a very small window to record normally, so it's good to have you. Uh, Ross, this one is over to the listeners because every time I get you on, we talk for so long, or you talk for so long, that I don't get the chance to ask you the listeners' questions and I get flooded with questions for you. So, <laughs> sorry, uh, about, sorry about that, mate. I talk for too long. My <laughs> wife tells me this as well, so I, I, I promise to shut up. Well, listen, it's, it works when you've got a podcast, doesn't it, that you can talk, so that helps, but people want to hear from you, and I've got a lot of questions, but I'm going to steal the first one for myself, because, you know, it's my show, I get to do that. Um, we started the year, Ross, with the heavily late UAP report. Um, from there, we've gone on to the Chinese spy balloon saga, and we had some filler in between that too, and I've had many listeners say to me they're almost a bit jaded with how the things have gone in terms of the UFO topic for the start of this year. Do you think that's fair opinion? Yeah, I must confess I'm really worn down by it, to be honest, Andy. I, I, I thought the um, the absolute apex of the idiocy was when here we had a demonstration of why incursions into airspace by unidentified objects matter, and you had the US national media getting itself into a frenzy about the issue for probably two weeks. And then they just lamely bought the explanation. Oh, well, it must be, you know, Joe Biden came out with that explanation a week late saying, oh, you know, well, these are probably hobby balloons, scientific balloons, nothing to see here, move on. And you know what? Everybody did. Now, I'm not saying those objects are anomalous, mate, but, you know, some of the world's top media organizations just accepted it and glibly moved on because... If you accept the minimum explanation, the least controversial explanation for what those three objects were that were shot down by US fighter aircraft, which is still a mystery, the White House is guilty of concealing the fact that it spent millions of dollars on shooting down hobby balloons and overreacted because of political pressure to the fact that the media was giving them a caning about unauthorised incursions into American airspace. That's the bare minimum story. But there's so much, my friend, that, you know, I, I just think the media should be asking. And, you know, if I was CBS, NBC, ABC, or the Washington Post, or the LA Times, or the New York Times, I'd be deploying teams of people onto why the world's most powerful military made promises countless times during the week that these objects were being engaged by fighter aircraft, they made promises. Pierre Trudeau, not Pietro, Justin Trudeau personally guaranteed yeah. that they would recover the wreckage of the one shot down over Canada and that the public would be told what these objects were. Why can't we be told? Now, you're and my friend Tim McMillan has just told a podcast earlier on today that um, it's his understanding that the Congressional Oversight Committees, the House Armed Services Committee, the Senate Armed Services Committee, and same for the Intelligence Committee, have not been given 
access to the videos or photographs of whatever these images were that were engaged by fighter aircraft. And remember, my friend, this is the first time in the history of NORAD that the Americans or the Canadians have engaged militarily objects that have breached US airspace or Canadian airspace. This is a huge moment, and yet we still officially do not know what these objects were. Why is that a satisfactory situation? And do we just accept the assurances that have been given that, oh, yeah, it was too hard to find these objects? I, I don't buy it. I really don't. I think they're hiding something. I really do. And I, I think the public need to ask questions. That podcast you mentioned with Tim McMillan was Disclosure Team with Vinnie Adams, so people should go and check that one out. It's pretty fresh. Even as this gets released, it's only going to be a couple of days old. Um, Ross, you're a man with considerable contacts and sources, and you've cited them before. What are they saying to you about this whole situation? Well, it's all contradictory, to be honest, Andy. I've, some of them are telling me that these objects are anomalous, but I, I don't. I don't. I don't believe it. I actually favour the. It's the line that I've probably used before with you, which is "fuck up before conspiracy." Um, you know, I, I, <laughs> frankly, when governments screw up, their first instinct is to cover up, and um, it's often the cover up that gets them into trouble. And in this case, I think what's happened is. Joe Biden was embarrassed, terribly, egregiously embarrassed about the fact that a Chinese spy balloon was able to overfly American airspace and actually overfly some of the most sensitive facilities, nuclear facilities in America with impunity and was then only able to be brought down safely over the, um, the ocean just off the South Carolinas. And not surprisingly, the media gave him a caning for not being able to guarantee that these incursions over American airspace could not be protected. And and the other thing that came out that, frankly, I just find gobsmacking is the admission that was made by the National Security Advisor to the White House, Jake Sullivan, and other DOD officials that prior to the Chinese balloon shoot down, the sensitivity of America's early warning radar and other sensor systems was deliberately turned down to avoid the detection of objects that weren't ICBMs or cruise missiles. Now, you can understand why the US Air Force NORAD put a priority on, you know, ICBMs or cruise missiles, but why were they making themselves deliberately blind to, for example, the Chinese balloon, which I just laugh every now and then I just read it. It, it had a payload of three buses. You know, imagine what you could put on a bloody balloon with three buses as a payload. Uh, I mean, why do you need ICBMs if you're Al-Qaeda or, or, or ISIS? You could just bloody pump a balloon up, sit it in northern Russia and just drift it across US airspace. And, you know, if, if you accept what we're being told, which I just find utterly implausible, the, the sensitivity of these radar systems were turned down to such an extent that we didn't know they were there. I don't buy it. I don't believe it because my sources are telling me they have known about these objects. They are aware of incursions of unidentified objects, including the anomalous objects that you and I and your audience are interested in. They've known about those for a very, very long time, but they've been deceiving themselves and turning a blind eye to it because, frankly, I think often a lot of them are confounded by the mystery and they prefer not to think about it. Now, the great thing about that incident, the really wonderful thing about the national security flight safety concerns that have legitimately been raised by the Chinese balloon incursion and by the three mystery objects incursion is that for the first time, the entire US national security defense military intelligence community is fine-tuned, believe me, they are fine-tuned to focus very, very hard on any unidentified objects coming into US airspace. And the reason why is because Jake Sullivan, at the instigation of Joe Biden, has called an interagency task force over the heads of the Pentagon. Now, why this isn't a bigger story, my friend, is just baffling to me. 
because we know ARO, the All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, the ridiculous name for the Pentagon's UAP Investigation Office, um, it, it's supposedly tasked with the investigation of UAPs, but the, the, the White House quite noticeably made the decision that this was going to be an interagency task force that went over the heads of the Pentagon, that answers to the executive branch of government directly to the White House. Now, that's significant. It's significant in that it suggests to me that the White House does not trust the Pentagon on this issue, period. And I know that for a fact. I think the phrase that the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing in this case tends to be the left hand doesn't like what the right hand's doing um, when it comes to the US government. Well, I think, I mean, it's really interesting because I think what's happened here is there's been a cultural attitude in the US Air Force in particular, not so much in the US Navy, that we just ignore whatever these anomalous phenomena are that are appearing on our radar screens. It's, we're told to forget about it, so we will. And I think that's a culture that creeped into NORAD, God forbid. I mean, mate, what is it? We're 2023. I mean, I lived through the horrors as you did of 9-11. I covered it as a journalist. I've gone through those ridiculous wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. And, and the absurdity of how wide open America was that day, despite warnings, intelligence warnings that were well known and brought out in the 9-11 Commission, is there going to be a similar accounting for the appalling failures, the, the absolutely embarrassing, egregious failures that have been highlighted by these incidents, these incursions into American airspace? This was, as Chris Mellon has said, this was a Pearl Harbor moment. It was a Sputnik moment. It was a moment where all of a sudden the national security apparatus of the most powerful country on the planet its military intelligence apparatus were caught napping because what they've done is they have arrogantly, obscenely turned a blind eye to the issue of unidentified objects in US airspace for reasons that defy explanation. They have failed their responsibility as defenders of America. And people in America should be concerned about that. And it's an issue just as much in your country as it is in mine. Why are our governments so deliberately blind to the issue of objects in our airspace that the American government itself admits they shot them down because they were a threat to flight safety? And they knew that these objects had been appearing in the months, years previously, and they'd done nothing about it. Why, if these objects were and are and continue to be a threat to flight safety, why have we been turning a blind eye to them? And why the hell is no national security correspondent from any of the major newspapers or TV networks or radio networks asking this question? I just don't understand it. I really don't. And I think we're being very badly served because we're at a time now in the media where there's a transition happening, mate, where legacy media is so under-resourced, so poorly staffed, and frankly, so poorly served by people who don't know their job. They're not trained properly. They're not really solid professional journalists with years of experience. And they, frankly, are just dropping the ball on this issue. And this is where podcasts like yours, like mine, like Vinny's, that did the Tim McMillan interview, this is where all of this stuff is coming out now. There's a new digital online media that is starting to create because, frankly, the public have had a complete gutsful with the absolute bullshit that is being spewed out on legacy media. I mean, right up until, I think, um, Julian Barnes from the New York Times' nonsensical piece, I think the most recent one he did was in January, how embarrassing. There he is saying, oh, you know, all of these unidentified objects are, um, are almost certainly Chinese balloons and... Um, drones and we can turn a blind eye to it. You know, it's not an issue. Move on, folks. Get on with your lives. And then it turns out that they were a threat to flight safety, even if you accept that they're Chinese drones or Chinese balloons, which frankly, I don't. We just don't know. And the absurdity is the national media sit there and get their cozy little briefings from the um, PR people for the Pentagon or the intelligence community, and they just glibly accept what they are told. 
at what point do they start applying objective analysis and critical reasoning? Because seriously, at the moment, we do not have an explanation for the first ever, in the period of NORAD, the first ever shoot-down of unidentified objects that have incurred into American airspace in the history of NORAD. And the only other incidents where this has happened before, where there have been shoot-downs, have been Pearl Harbor in December 1941, which we all know, and which was a seminal warning for America about the importance of having intelligence and heeding intelligence and making sure their airspace is protected. And I think there was one incident where a Japanese Zero incurred um, Alaskan airspace sometime during World War II and was shot down. But really, this is such a rare incident and the level of inquisitiveness by the media has just been ridiculous. I'd like to thank Paperlike for sponsoring this episode. I've had my Paperlike on the iPad now for a few months and wonder already how I ever done without it. One of the biggest differences for me is how much better the iPad screen looks. The reflection without the Paperlike on long train journeys or in the office was pretty bad. But now watching movies and TV shows is a far more pleasant experience. There just isn't that shine bouncing off the screen. Taking notes and writing podcast shows is also transformed. As it feels like it says, I am writing on to paper thanks to the nano dot technology tiny micro beads designed to add superior stroke precision when you drag the apple pencil across the screen perfect for designing your next hobby balloon to be shot down by the u.s military i kid paperlike is perfect for anyone who owns an ipad and an apple pencil it's a must have they really should put it in with ipads i'd love to see them get that kind of deal you do get a set of two when you buy it so you always have the spare it's genuinely made me use my ipad more than i did before so it's given my existing technology a brand new lease of life to pick up your paperlike head over to paperlike.com forward slash that ufo click buy paperlike and select your ipad size so if you're ready to do more with your ipad head over to paperlike.com forward forward slash that UFO to get started. Well, a good place to bring in a question from Jeff. Jeff asks, in talking about the White House press briefings and lack of robust questioning that you've brought up before, have you got any direct or indirect contacts with the privileged few members of the press that get access to these as to why they're not better briefed to challenge the bland answers given from those briefings? Well, they are briefed because I've sent a couple of them my book, and some of them are friends of mine. And um, what you have to understand is everything in the White House press room is very, very carefully choreographed. They actually have a seniority about which journalists get to ask questions. And it's all very, very theatrical. You don't just put your hand up and the president answers your question or the national security answers, the national security advisor answers your questions. It's all very stage managed. And frankly, that's the issue. The, the issue is that mm. there there is a um, an issue, frankly, and it's the same in your country and it's in the same in my country. I've been a national security reporter for a major newspaper in Australia, and it's a big issue because, frankly, what happens is you become dependent on your sources and you don't want to piss them off. I can remember, um, oh, God, right back at the time of the Second Gulf War, I was tipped to the fact that the Australian SAS were deploying in the Western desert of Iraq. And I could have run a dramatic story on the front page of a major national newspaper because I had enough information to say which units were being deployed, what sort of equipment was being deployed and how long they were going to be there. But me and my editors made a decision that it wasn't news that ought properly to be reported. Uh, It could have jeopardised the safety of servicemen in a combat zone, and so we didn't report it. Um, And I didn't do that because I didn't want to upset the Defence Department, but there's no doubt in my mind if I had done it, if I had reported it, I would have been off the drip forever. I wouldn't have been invited Mm. to those briefings. I wouldn't have been given the opportunities to sit down with the chief commanders and get the briefings that are so important. Uh, I mean, one of the the conversations that is happening in Australia at the moment is... um, should we be buying nuclear submarines off you guys and the Americans in you know Britain and America? And um, it's a big issue because they're going to cost a minimum of $370 billion, which is just a phenomenal amount of money. And um, 
a lot of the uh, left media are directing their criticism at some of our more established newspapers because they've essentially slavishly reported what the intelligence community is telling them, that war with China is inevitable and that, frankly, we just have to accept that this is going to happen and we're going to go to war with China because China is going to invade Taiwan and we, of course, will back our friends, the Americans, in any war with Taiwan. And whatever the merits of that argument, there's been no debate about it anywhere. The, the national media has just stepped in lockstep behind the government on this issue. And I suspect a lot of it is based on very credible concerns about what the Chinese are really up to. And they are. They're complete bastards with espionage. They stole the F-35 fighter plans from America. Um, they've targeted universities in my country that are involved in defence research. Believe me, China is a very, very aggressive espionage partner. But my point is, is that there's, a, there's clearly an issue when there's no longer rigorous analysis and argument about major policy decisions that are being made by governments because the national media who are covering national security, defence and intelligence just step in slavishly behind and, and, and just adhere to what the government of the day and the intelligence community tells them. And this is why good men and women went off to war in your country and died in the deserts of Iraq because Tony Blair was sold a pup on false intelligence that said there were weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, that Saddam Hussein was ma manufacturing nuclear weapons or biological weapons. There was and there continues to be no evidence of that. And so what I'm saying is there needs to be more objective rigour. The media need to ask harder questions. Um, and, and we're not doing that. The legacy media is not doing that. And it needs to ask it at press conferences, but it also needs to ask it in basic background journalism. Why has nobody written an article that says, gee, we're now weeks on from the shoot-down incidents, and it's like it never happened? Why, why do we not know what these objects were? Why has the most powerful country on the planet with easily the most incredible surveillance reconnaissance resources anywhere on the planet, not found a single trace of these objects that were shot down. And why can Joe Biden assert with confidence, apparently, that these objects were almost certainly hobby balloons or scientific balloons, when frankly, nobody has released any evidence of that to the public? And if they are such benign prosaic objects, such mundane objects, why can't we see the photos? Why can't we see the evidence? What are they hiding? That, that's all I'm asking. You mentioned potential war with China, and that's something that's come up quite often recently, given events. A question from David. What's closer to midnight, in your opinion, Ross? The doomsday clock or the disclosure clock? Oh, the doomsday clock. No, I actually... I mean, I'm put my serious hat on for a moment, mate. I am really scared right now because I do. I, I talk to a lot of defence and intelligence people in my country, your country, and the US and other countries in my region, and it just scares the living hell out of me that, as an 18-year-old boy, I was I was a punk rocker. You know, I I listened to Susie and the Banshees and basically uh, the Clash and was kind of nihilistic about the expectation I was going to make it to 21. I really didn't expect to. We were in such a dark period in that era of the Cold War. I just accepted I was going to be annihilated in a nuclear conflagration. And to me, it was just an amazing miracle to be one of the journalists covering the fall of the, the wall, the Berlin Wall, and watching the, the collapse of the Soviet Union. And yeah, we are in believe me, my friend, the most incredibly dangerous times. And, you know, it's funny, I, I walked out of a gymnasium this afternoon and I was looking across and just watching people living their normal lives. There was a little girl skipping down the street and her mum was trying to grab her hand to stop her from running onto the road. And I was just thinking, oh my God, we are so bloody lucky. And yet right on the other side of the world, there are young men and women fighting trench warfare a hundred and something years on from World War One. There are people fighting trench warfare in the fields of Ukraine over a, a very, very important fight for their sovereignty. And the only way we can resolve this is with what is essentially a superpower confrontation between the Russians and America. It's so bloody dangerous right now. 
And um, I, I'm genuinely worried that that even a, a simple mistake, such as you know the incident where um, Soviet jets interdicted and brought down a, a, an American drone the other day, something like that could so easily escalate. And and that's so much more the focus I can tell you of what's going on in the defence and intelligence community than disclosure. And frankly, there was an initiative, and there still continues to be an initiative within sections of the American defense and intelligence community to be more open with the public about what they really know about the phenomenon of UAPs. But I think that's all been put on the back burner. It really has been put on the back burner because of the fact that everybody I talk to is totally laser-focused on, in their words, the coming war. Well, well, things are a little bit more sombre. I might as well keep it along that line. And a question from Peter. He asks, with what Ross claims he knows but can't reveal, are we better off never knowing or must the truth be revealed however dangerous, painful or disturbing? Peter adds that he's thinking of the strap line that you said on your Theory of Everything interview. Uh, what I've been told would cause panic if I said it. Yeah, and I, I, it's funny, a lot of people use that term claims. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I claim I, I know things. I don't claim I know things. What I say is I've been told things. I'm a journo. Journos are only ever as good as the sources that tell them stuff. And in my career, I'm sure I've been told crap. Every journo gets told crap from time to time. There's a thing called disinformation that intelligence services intelligence services particularly use. Quite often, false information is sowed with journalists. And it's a big worry of mine that in this UAP field, every time I say something I've been told, I'm quoted saying, I know. I mean, one of the best examples of that was the future human hypothesis that was put to me by quite a number of people in defense and intelligence circles. And frankly, I don't know that for sure. All I can say is, this is what I'm being told. And frankly, I don't know if it's true or not. And a lot of people have had a go at me going, well, we should just shut the fuck up then, you know. And I, I just think, well, fuck them. You know, the bottom line is they don't have to listen. Um, uh, you know, I, I just think ultimately what my job is, is to report accurately and fairly and attempt the analysis of what I've been told. Well, a question from long-time listener Gnosis takes us a little bit more classic UFO, I think, here, Ross. Um, Ross's investigation points to a physical phenomenon of nuts, bolts, and crash retrieval programs. How does he square up the non-physical claims, for example, Chris Bledsoe's experiences? Are they also just manifestations of an advanced technology, or are we dealing with a parallel phenomena? It's funny, actually, uh, Andy, I noticed that you're um, promoing interviews that you've got with uh, Chris coming up, or Ryan, I'm not sure which one it is, but um, I'm it really Chris, interested. Yeah, it's just about to come out, yeah. Yeah, I'm really interested in in hearing Chris, and I'll be watching your podcast and other interviews that he's done. Um, look, frankly, I, I don't think an analysis of the phenomenon cannot include the paranormal you know, the sort of things we're talking about. I mean, you have Jay Stratton, the former head of the UAP task force in the Pentagon, admitting that he was visited by some kind of dogman werewolf entity at his family home, that his family was basically harassed. This is the story told in um, Colm Kelleher and uh, George Knapp's book, The Skinwalkers at the Pentagon. And um, whilst they use a, um, a pseudonym for Jay Stratton, Blind Freddy can see who it is. And I think he's just recently talked more about this at the AlienCon conference that happened in early March. And so you've got senior officials such as Jim Semivan, Jay Stratton, and others that I've spoken to, some of them whose names have not yet been made public, who have described to me bloody horrendous stuff that is paranormal. I mean, I, there's a guy I spoke to very early on in my research who is formerly very senior in the FBI, and he's never gone public. So the FBI is like America's federal police, if you like, and they're an incredibly powerful agency. And um, he's got secrecy clearances and basically 
he, he describes something eerily similar to what Jim Semivans described, you know, some kind of hooded figure appearing in his bedroom. Now, I don't think any legitimate investigation of the phenomenon can avoid the fact that there are people, including reputable people, claiming that they've had these encounters. I wasn't there in their bedroom with them when these encounters occurred, so it makes it bloody hard to investigate. How can you verify? Um, There's one person I've been talking to who claimed an abduction, and they said that they had a, a flatmate in the house who who witnessed the fact that um, they were away from their bedroom after a huge flash of light. And um, I spent an enormous amount of time trying to find that former flatmate and uh, verify that, you know, there was this absence from the home that was unexplained. And I I just got absolutely nowhere and I spent days on it, you know, trying to search databases to try and find this person who I just could not for the life of me find. Um, But I, I do, I accept that there has to be if we're going to talk about the phenomenon, the phenomenon encompasses, yes, nuts and bolts alleged craft. And I say alleged because I'm not entirely sure they are nuts and bolts craft. Um, and But it also includes paranormal phenomena, you know, the claims of Skinwalker Ranch, werewolves, dogmen, portals, three-dimensional portals, weird magnetic anomalies. I mean, all of that has to be taken into account and considered. Is it real? I, I don't know if it is. But what I am sure of, and I'm increasingly sure of this, is that Jacques Vallée is right when he says that the least likely explanation for what we're talking about is the extraterrestrial hypothesis. I suspect whatever it is, if it's real, is intraterrestrial, that it's been here all along. How do you view figures like Jay Stratton and and Tim Taylor mixing? And this is something I've seen a lot of people debating online with those types of crimes that you see. I think you mean Travis Taylor, um, because I wish it was Tim Taylor. Travis Taylor, yeah. Yeah, I wish it was Tim yes, Taylor because I, I dream of getting an interview with Tim Taylor. Just for the benefit of our audience, Tim Taylor is a slightly more enigmatic character who's stayed very much in the shadows, but who, if one reads the um, Diana Walsh Pasolka book, American Cosmic, I think he's very thinly hidden behind a pseudonym and he's just quite the most extraordinary character who clearly has made allegations to uh, Diana and other people that he's involved in the program. But no, you're asking me, what do I think of Jay Stratton and Travis Taylor engaging with the alien con audience? Well, just frankly, yeah, that general circuit, because that's been debated, hasn't it? That should yeah. big figures like that be going out with that ancient aliens type crew? Look, I was really surprised they did it, to be honest. And I, I'm pretty sure Jay Stratton particularly regrets it because um, he did ask, he did request that the audience not record the conversation that he had with them. And somebody in that audience recorded it. And my dear friend and colleague, Joe Merger, and I don't blame him for this, has done a transcript. And poor old Jay, I'm sure, is quite upset that his private background comments to a select group at the Alien Con have now been published on the Twitter feed in a sensational way. And I noticed Josh Boswell from the Daily Mail's had some fun with it as well, where he's basically picked up on the fact that um, Jay has allegedly asserted that the Pentagon bosses of intelligence, Scott Moultrie, uh, Scott Bray and Ron Moultrie, misled Congress when they gave their briefings in May last year. I mean, it's a hell of a thing to get anyone from the UAP task force serving or former to actually appear at an alien conference. And and the fact that people have behaved so irresponsibly and secretly recorded them contrary to their requests and put that up online, it's just not going to happen again. So it's it's academic. I'd be very, very surprised if Jay participates in a public uh, forum like that ever again. And we know, obviously, Travis Taylor is um, uh, a scientist. He was, he was, as well as being the chief scientist working on the UAP investigations with the Pentagon, he's also the scientist attached to the Skinwalker Ranch program. And through no fault of Travis, the Skinwalker Ranch program, whilst I enjoy it, it, it's done in a very sensationalized way, in a way that I think alienates a lot of people who want 
this subject matter to be taken seriously. And um, same with AlienCon. I mean, again, I, I, you know, I've been to a couple of UFO conferences and I've got no issue with them. But frankly, if you want to be taken seriously, and if you want the subject matter of UAPs to be essentially become the subject of academic research and scientific analysis, I, I don't think um, a uh, an, an alien conference is the way to do it. Um, and and I know a lot of people, for example, have been quite critical of uh, Professor Avi Loeb from Harvard University's Galileo Project for doing a, a co-written paper with um, Sean Kirkpatrick, the the head of ARO, the government's UAP investigations office. But frankly, it's that kind of work that does need to be done. I was actually quite heartened to see a collaboration between a reputable professor of astronomy and um, a member of the government's ongoing investigations into UAPs. I was really heartened by that. And I thought the point that they made in their draft paper, which hasn't yet been peer-reviewed, in that draft paper, they do raise concerns about whether the sensor systems used in the US Navy sightings were adequate to make the conclusions that have been made about the Gimbal, GoFast and Tic Tac sightings. The one issue I have with their paper, and before it goes to peer review, is they should really be acknowledging, um, Sean Kirkpatrick particularly, that there is other data that we all know of that was taken from the USS Princeton and the USS Nimitz and the E-2 Hawkeye aircraft in the form of data bricks, which were a massive range of sensor systems that recorded what actually happened during that encounter. And I know that it's that data that has informed Jay Stratton's conclusions that were given in a briefing to no less than the Gang of Eight, which is the overall oversight body for secrets in the US government. And I should point you to the fact that Congressman Jim Himes from Connecticut, who's a member of the Gang of Eight, he was asked by um, Stephen Colbert just the other day um, about the US Navy sightings. And even though he happily acknowledged that some or you know, a lot of the objects seen by pilots can be dismissed and prosaically explained with mundane objects, maybe like other aircraft or balloons, he acknowledged that the Gang of Eight has been told and that he is satisfied from the briefings that he has received that there is still a genuine mystery with some of these objects that requires investigation and analysis. And so when you have, say, God bless them, the Mick Wests and other debunkers of this world who are basically tilting at the windmills to basically suggest that, you know, they've made terrible mistakes in their briefings. It's just an arrogant conceit to suggest that all of the data hasn't been considered. Mick's doing his analysis on that one video. I'm told by my sources that there are multiple sensor systems that have involved uh, the decision that was made that, yes, there is a genuine anomaly here that cannot be explained that goes beyond a lot of terrestrial human science and requires explanation. And so, you know, I I guess I'm making an argument for rigorous scientific research, but um, at the same time, it shouldn't be dishonest scientific research. Because the other thing about the Avi Loeb Sean Kirkpatrick paper was that it was trying to confine its analysis. And I really commend this paper to people who are actually really interested in this issue because it was an attempt to do a scientific investigation of one of the key issues in UAP sightings, these US Navy sightings. And it only really focused on the forward-looking infrared imaging. And I just think it was disingenuous for them to try and do an analysis that was based on Newtonian physics, talking about the friction that should have been created by objects doing these kind of manoeuvres, when in fact everybody knows that what we're talking about here are objects that clearly are not obeying the laws of conventional physics. They go far beyond what, what we understand to be normal physics. And a lot of what is currently hypothetical in quantum science is possibly the explanation. And I would have liked to have seen a broader incorporation of those possibilities in quantum physics taken into that scientific paper, which, to be fair, hasn't yet been submitted for peer review, and I hope they will. So I'm I'm making a, a broad argument, my friend, for, yes, to respond to your question, 
less sensationalism, less dramatic, breathless stuff at UFO conferences and more scientific rigor and objective analysis. And in that, I include the mainstream media because we've all failed in the mainstream media. I include myself in that. I'd like to thank User Interviews for sponsoring this episode. When I first started promoting User Interviews a few months ago, I had a wonderful response for many of you out there who got on board early and earned some extra dollars at what's during what's a tough financial time. User Interviews connects researchers with real people like you, quality participants who earn money for their feedback on real products. Right now, there's a high demand for software developers and engineers to give feedback on products being created for developers. It's free to sign up. In less than five of our Earth Minutes, you can apply for your first study. Most studies are less than an hour and pay over $60. Some studies pay several hundred dollars for a one-on-one interview. You get to share your opinion on top brands such as Adobe, Spotify, Intuit, Amazon and many more. I've even signed up myself and the process was very quick. If you're ready to earn extra income from sharing your expert opinion, head over to userinterviews.com slash hello to sign up and participate today. And to be fair, in this subject, that there's always a call and a want of sensationalism. Some people are in it for that. They want the wildest, most incredible claims. They want to hear about the Antarctic UFO Nazi bases, and they want to hear about the dark side of the moon. And then you've got the far extreme where people want the real science, hard data. And I think, I like to think I meet somewhere in the middle of all of that, maybe slightly more towards a scientific end, to be fair. But do you, do you think that you've mentioned Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick in the, the co-written paper, do you think this is a blow to the credibility of Arrow and what it can achieve. And maybe this will allow people a little less hype when it comes to those next UFO reports or UAP task force reports that will be due because Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick seems to be going down one particular path with this. I don't know if I accept that proposition yet. I mean, I know Lou, when I interviewed him shortly after the uh, May hearing last year, he was quite critical of Sean Kirkpatrick. But... I'm hearing good things, that that Kirkpatrick's a solid scientist and that he's actually quite interested in getting to the bottom of this. And more importantly, this is something you've really got to take into account. A lot of people in the defence and intelligence community have forgotten in America that it's not the bloody intelligence community and defence community that run America. It's Congress. And, mate, Congress has found its balls. Believe me, the oversight committees have got teeth. And they're using it because they realize they've been lied to. I've actually had conversations with people in Congress who've told me they're aware now that they've been misled and they are determined to get to the truth of this. And people like Kirkpatrick know where history is going. He's leading a unit which has been legislatively mandated to tell the truth about UAPs. The Congress has made an order. And yeah, okay, you know, you can have the disingenuous briefings from Susan Goff of Pentagon PR as much as you like to certain individuals who then parrot what the Pentagon want them to say. But no amount of petty sniping from the sidelines is going to deter the Congress from asking the hard questions. And that's what I'm really heartened about. A lot of the people I talk to are in those committees, those key oversight committees, the Armed Services Committee and the Intelligence Committees. And boy, they are they are aware, especially since the shoot-down incidents, that they've been being bullshitted to, that a lot of the assurances that they were given by the intelligence community and the Defence Department are eerily evocative of what was said towards the 9-11 commission in the in the wash-up, the post-mortem, after that awful disaster where so many thousands of Americans died in the 9-11 attack. They don't want this to happen again. And you have to understand that what's happened as a result of the um, Chinese balloon and mystery shoot-down incidents is that an issue that was previously very much on the fringe, UAPs, you know, anomalous aerial phenomena, All of a sudden, it's become almost by accident a huge concern to the Congress because one of the things that started happening was people like Marco Rubio, people like um, uh, John uh, Kennedy, the the guy from, from Louisiana, 
um, all of a sudden people started conflating the issue of unidentified objects that have strayed into American airspace with the broader issue of how the Congress is aware from private skiff briefings of unidentified anomalous phenomena that's still to this day being seen in American airspace and remains unexplained. And so those two issues have now joined. They are now a priority of, get this, both sides of the Congress. It's almost like they're trying to outdo each other because as soon as you get Senator Gillibrand from the Democrats basically saying, you know, she's doing her doing her level best to ensure that Arrow gets funding, up Bob's uh, Tim Burchett and uh, Matt Gates from Florida basically saying they've just had a secret briefing in Florida about um, uh, video or some kind of imagery that they were shown by the commanding general of a base. And that's totally escaped the legacy media's attention, but it's been rightly picked up by good people on social media who saw the interview firstly on Newsmax and then um, I think there was also an interview in Newsweek. And uh, Tucker Carlson also added what he said. And by putting all of those three interviews together, it's clear that two Republican congressmen, both sitting on key oversight committees, have been given a very sensitive top-secret briefing where they were shown incontrovertible evidence of anomalous craft, four anomalous craft flying very close to US aircraft. Now, the big issue that you need to understand and your audience needs to understand is what Sean Kirkpatrick thinks about this is utterly irrelevant because he's just a little bureaucrat in the machine who will do, he will bloody well do what the Congress does for, demands from him. Because if he doesn't, he'll be out on his ear. And the whole politics has changed in this issue because of what happened in February. All of a sudden, or was it March? I've forgotten when this, yeah, was it? Yeah, it was, when were the shoot downs? This month or last? El, what a- yeah, but in middle of March, February? February yeah, it was yeah. February. No, it was February, yeah. And so everything changed in February. And that's that's the point, is that all of a sudden, by almost complete accident, because of the farcical incompetence of NORAD and the US Air Force, who were doing their level, be- head, level best to stick their heads in the sand on this issue, all of a sudden, UAPs are now a bipartisan political concern in the Congress. That's great. It's really good news. My ignorance or lack of understanding of the American political system might come into play here, but I wonder for those that worry about the toothpaste going back into the tube on this this issue, is time not against us because congressmen and women and elected representatives come and go with being voted in and out of their positions, but the, the gatekeepers and secret keepers are in for the long haul in those positions, aren't they? So it's just a case of waiting it out. And those folks now, your Gillibrands, your Rubios, your Warners, they might not be there in a few years. Look, I think you're right, mate. Now, I, I've actually said repeatedly that I am very concerned, as you say, that the toothpaste might be put back in the tube, that there is an enormous pushback going on. I mean, there are tame Twitterers, social mediaers, who are basically allowing themselves to be led by the nose by people in the Pentagon who really should know better. There is this puerile attempt to try and push back to suggest, for example, that... Um, I mean, one of my pet hatreds was the absolutely nonsensical report that was published by the New York Times national security correspondent. I think it was September last year, where they tried to suggest that all of the objects that were recorded off the west coast of the USA in the 2018-2019 USS Omaha, USS Russell incident were either Chinese drones of some kind or some kind of balloon technology. Mate, I've spoken to so many sources, government sources, intelligence sources, defence sources, who say that that is a big steaming pile of bullshit and the reporter should know better. And I was really heartened that um, Jim Hines from the Gang of Eight, the Connecticut uh, uh, congressman, confirmed that there are US Navy sightings that do require ongoing investigation. And I was really heartened to hear Jay Stratton spoke to the Alien Con conference 
he probably won't do it again. But in the conference, he apparently told the conference that that what the Pentagon told the Congress in the May briefing in 2021 about the um, the uh, U.S. Navy sightings was inaccurate. That, that they were aware of a pyramidal object, that these could not be explained as conventional drones. And there was, if they are foreign technology, that's a bigger concern because it means whoever that foreign nation is, it has developed technology that is mind-blowingly advanced. And why the hell would China deploy surveillance drones that were so advanced over U.S. Navy ships in a training exercise just off the U.S. coast, knowing they could so easily have been shot down if they were just drones? And for that matter, why were none shot down? If these were just drones, as people say, why wasn't the U.S. able to bring them down when they had what are called Snoopy teams with electromagnetic pulse weapons that are able to bring down a conventional drone? These weren't conventional drones. And more importantly, as um, Jay Stratton told the AlienCon conference, whatever they were, there were hundreds of them swarming different US Navy ships at the same time, all detected on radar and sensor systems. Think about that. It's, It's breathtaking. The implications either are some foreign adversary has developed a drone or balloon technology that is mind-blowingly advanced and a serious national security concern, or it's something else. And and this is the problem. This is my problem with a lot of the um, American media is what they do is they, they get their little shorthand pad and they walk up the steps of the Pentagon and they're so excited to be a national security correspondent and they think they do their job just by parroting what they're told. That's not, that's not good enough. That's not what the great IF Stones, the great journalists have done in history in journalism. They've used their own sources to test those claims and to analyze that evidence. That's the problem. This isn't happening now in legacy media in the United States because what's happened is the, the encroachment of the internet, the Googles, the Metas, the Facebooks, and all of these other organizations that have taken so much of the advertising revenue of legacy media, they've weakened these organizations at a time when we need tough, interrogative media, objective media like never before. And here we are, you know, we're sleepwalking towards a war with China right now. And we're being told war is inevitable. Where's the analysis on that? What I'd like to know is, on, and this is from Mike, do you have any idea who specifically might be in charge of this secret UFO recovery program? Mike's under the impression that someone or one individual group is calling the shots. Is that your understanding or is this spread over a larger area? I'm going to use a word. Actually, I'm going to use two words. Group K. Remember that. Group K. And I hope it's causing a minor coronary infarction for somebody in the Pentagon right now. That's all I'm going to say. But that group is very important. If there is an organization that is gatekeeping And if there is, and I suspect there is, that is gatekeeping access to information on UAPs, possibly crash retrievals and possibly reverse engineering programs, a good starting point is the Special Access Program Oversight Committee membership of the United States Defense Department. And they're listed members. I've approached a few of them myself over the years to no great shakes. Another one is, as well as the SAPOC, there's the SRG, the Senior Review Group. And these are the people who review the most sensitive secrets in the US military. The waived, unacknowledged special access programs. If anyone knows, they do. And look, frankly, there's a hell of a lot that's on the public record. I I just noticed today, for example, that... um, uh, it was flying around social media that Eric Davis, God bless him, yet again, Jacques Vallée's diaries have provided more information about an incident where Jacques was informed by Hal Putoff, Eric Davis's then boss at the time, 
that Eric had met no, no less than the former president, George Bush Sr., and that Bush was giving Eric advice about the um, uh, intelligence community. And Eric, not unsurprisingly, asked questions about General Corso. Could Corso have been mistaken in dealing with the material he was handling? Could that have been Nazi hardware, Eric asked George Bush Sr. Impossible, replied Bush. He then remembered General Trudeau, who showed interest. Uh, he, he asked it. Um, uh, okay, we'll move on. He asked about the Holloman film, which is the alleged landing of an alien spacecraft at the Holloman Air Force Base, which frankly I've always thought was just a specious story. And um, the former president was aware of it. Was it a training film, a special ops exercise? No, George Bush Sr. replied. It was the real thing. There was a secret project and the security was obscene. Now, little tidbits like that appear in Jacques Vallée's Forbidden Science Diaries time and time again. Um, there was a mention just the other day of a former um, senior member of the Government Accounting Office that was involved in an audit investigation that allegedly uncovered monies leading to the program. I think his name was General Bowder from memory. There are trails to follow. And if I was a member of that gatekeeper group who are hiding the evidence that a lot of people suspect that they are hiding, I'd be getting very nervous right now because the Congress has mandated that this information be provided to the Congress through ARO. And the stipulation is that if it hasn't been properly accounted for through the normal oversight procedures to the Congress, it has to be reported within a very short period of time. I think the time is 72 hours to those oversight committees. And I just wonder whether that mandate has been triggered yet. Because, boy, I'm hearing some amazing stuff from sources, including sources who've told me that they've approached the Congress with information about the program. And I'm just hoping people are being named and shamed. Because even if there is, let's just hypothetically assume, Andy, that there's, say, a, a presidential executive order that mandated all of this be kept secret right back in, say, or, I don't know, 1947, perhaps. Um, let's just say that that's the case. Is it legal? Has anybody ever really tested the legality of such a, uh, a declaration? Why haven't presidents been briefed? And moreover, why was President Obama briefed post his presidency and why has his attitude hardened to suggesting that there just might be something to this UAP issue? So the, the, the evidence is there. In answer to your, um, your questioner, um, I, I do think that there are an abundance of names that can be pursued and investigated. All the Congress needs to do is call them and they can be called involuntarily. The big issue, my friend, and this is where the pushback's happening, is whether you and I, the general public, will get told about it. Because don't forget that the only thing the legislation does is mandate that proper oversight and accountability be reinstated on every program involved with UAPs. Because there's a clear belief in the legislation. It's quite clear the purpose of the legislation is to bring these UAP programs back within the control and oversight of the proper procedures of Congress. There's no requirement that the public be told. And if I was the US, frankly, mate, I can see there's a bloody good argument. If I've recovered alien technology and I'm in a battle with the Russians and the Chinese to develop, let's say, anti-gravity or propulsion systems or weapons systems, stealth technology, I sure as hell wouldn't be telling the public about it. And that's the issue. Is the Congress going to be told about this? And is there a possibility that if the Congress could get told about it in a secure skiff, we were not? Final question then from Newman, because we're running out of time. Uh, Newman asks, is there any news on evidence of our sensor systems in space having picked up on UAPs? Well, Christopher Mellon wrote a fantastic piece about this about a year and a half ago, which I really commend to people, where he summarised the capabilities of all of the different satellites and all of the different agencies that the, um, that the US has. 
Um, I, I started up my research. I, I, mean, I knew a guy before he passed called Jeff Richelson, who did a fantastic book that I've got on my shelf that talked about the DSP satellites, the Defence Support Program satellites, that essentially looked for flares of rockets in on the planet below. And um, boy, was my world shook when I received a, a very, very confidential briefing from sources who told me about the technologies that the Geospatial Agency, the National Reconnaissance Agency, the NSA, and the DOD more broadly in, in the United States have got that, that essentially send telemetry data down through Australia's Pine Gap base back to the United States on a, on a secure terminal. It's mind-blowing the capabilities that they've got. They're not just looking at Earth, they're looking out towards space. And don't forget also, my friend, the James Webb Telescope. I mean, wow, you know, you've got a purpose-built platform now on the other side of the moon that is able to look at the universe in ways we've never been able to look at before. It's, it's actually really exciting. And time and time again, people like Christopher Mellon, um, that gentleman whose name momentarily escapes me, who's the uh, former deputy head of the Coast Guard, who um, Jay from Project Unity's had on a few times, Gauladay, I think his name is, he's talked about the importance of um, data held, I think, by the Geospatial Agency and um, the NRO. It's quite clear that there is a vast amount of data. I think the biggest repository of a lot of this data, though, is the Department of Energy. It goes right back to 1947 when the Department of Energy was involved in the um, Los Alamos testing and when a lot of strange objects were coming down in the Nevada desert. And more by accident and historical happenstance by, than by design, um, Los Alamos, the Department of Energy, became, I think, a major point for where a lot of this data went. And it's not a coincidence, my friend, that the Department of Energy is excluded from freedom of information laws. Go figure. And, and just on that, a little follow-up, do you see the NASA study that's due to conclude around May? I believe I was speaking to one of the folks involved in that, and they think it's going to be finished around May. Um, do you see that throwing up anything that's going no. to be worthy of follow-up? No, I don't, to be honest. I, I, I think it's just going through the motions. I mean, it's actually admitted that it's not going to be looking at classified material, which is absurd. Um, and it, it's not responding to, well, inquiries that I've made and other people have made about numerous anomalous incidents that have been videoed and filmed on different missions that require explanation. There's just a willful blindness to actually accounting for a lot of the evidence that NASA itself has collected over the years. And um, I'm sorry, I, I hope I'm proved wrong, but I just can't help but think that the NASA inquiry is just going through the motions. It's a bit of a whitewash. I think that's one that time's going to tell, and it should be pretty soon as well. Well, listen, Ross, you've been very good with your time. Our hour is up. Um, how can people find you and also your work as well? And of course, the, the Need to Know podcast along with Bryce. Sure. You'll find me on the Need to Know uh, podcast on all major podcast channels and also on YouTube. Uh, I think it's just called Need to Know, or you can go to our website, www.needtoknow.today. And um, as of last week, I finished the final chapters for a new update of my book in plain sight, which is going to press in the United States in July or August. Hopefully it'll be on the bookshelves by then. And um Hopefully it'll upset a few people and cause some mischief. And uh, I'm continuing to work on other projects with Bryce and uh, we've got some interesting new documentaries coming your way. Lovely. Well, hopefully when you've got that updated book out, we can get you back on, Ross, and have a chat about it. Good on you, buddy. Nice to talk to you. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access the shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see.
architect Hatch and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little baroque and quite steampunk like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of that UFO podcast is sponsored by Zencaster. Zencaster is the all-in-one podcasting platform that allows you to remotely record and produce your show with the highest quality audio and video. All from the main dashboard, you can find a full suite of professional tools to get your show created and published in the easiest way possible. You'll always sound at your best as Zencaster's post-production takes the headache out of audio production, setting your loudness and levels while reducing background noise with one click. Zencaster records video up to 4K to give you the perfect picture quality, whether you're in a shed or a studio. Then Zencaster will distribute your video podcast in crisp 1080p to all video podcast players. The biggest feature for me, folks, is that I get the local file recording from each guest so their audio always comes through as best as it can, regardless of any choppy internet connections. Go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use code UFO Podcast and you'll get 40% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs, it's time to share your story.